This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And this week, we are going to be covering a topic. I'm not going to get into it just yet, but it's a struggle that Taylor's been having over the course of the last couple weeks and thought that by sharing her own struggle, it might help all of us. So let me, as a way of leading into that and to getting into the chit-chat, just say, last week we talked about the fact that you were still writing. Now let's talk about how's it going? How's it actually going? Last week you said you were making progress, but go into more detail. Ha. <laughs> okay, so last week we I, we talked about how finally all the you know promo stuff for Liar's Paradox was over, and I was finally like full, fully switching back into full focus writing mode and how I'd been writing, you know, often I've been writing this whole time, but it hasn't been really focused because of all the interruptions. And now it's full on. And as far as how it's going, it's been a rough couple of weeks, actually. I've spent, I don't have time. Like, I've got to get this thing done. I do not have time to waste just, you know, beating my head against it this far into the story. But I'm still at that phase where I'm not sure this story is going to work. Uh, You know, there's still so much about it that hasn't come together fully yet. And I go through this with every single book. (laughs) But so I know that's part of the process, but it doesn't eliminate or relieve that sense of, holy crap, I've taken on more than I can chew. Why did I do this type thing? And in this case, it it's just been beating my head against the same chapter over and over, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, well, before we get to that, let's talk about me for a minute. Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) I have been um, grinding away on third draft edits for my book, and I had forgotten that along about chapter 18, I used one of your tricks, which is to say, insert a bunch of stuff here. (laughs) And then I just went on with the information that needed to be transferred to the to the reader over the course of of the scene and then there was another thing in there that said use some sort of setting information here that ties to wherever we are and make it interesting and so i'm grinding along with my third third draft edits and it's going pretty well and i hit that and i just hit a mental wall because i was not prepared to actually write anything and so that that literally was a two day i did nothing <laughs> Because I couldn't wrap my brain around trying to write something new. I just wanted to do the editing stuff. And then I finally did, and it took like half an hour, and it was fine. Well, my advice, which is advice that I don't take in a circumstance <laughs> like that, would be just skip that and move on and then come back to it when you're in you know, writing mode. But I'm horrible at taking my own advice. So, <laughs> Well, it, it needed it needed to fit because this is the the draft when I'm trying to go through and make sure all the pieces tie together. Yeah. And yeah, so occasionally I'm finding things where they don't, and then I'm going back and tweaking things, but they're all just little tiny tweaks. It's not like, oh my gosh, I need to come up with a fairly interesting setting that needs to somehow or other tie in with everything else that's going on and, and make 
I'll allow this other thing to happen at the same time. No pressure. No pressure at well, all. Well, I mean, it shouldn't have been, but it went, <laughs> because my mind was on something completely different, it just completely froze me up. And it's like, okay, I'm going to do something else now. Well, for anybody who's ever been in Steve's shoes, I will let you know that that's pretty normal. Like, we all go through that, so... You know, don't worry, Steve. You're you're a writer. It's what happens. I loved the trick when I put that scene in because I knew in the second draft, it's like, okay, I need this scene to tie these other things together. So I put the scene in, but I didn't want to waste time trying to figure up with a good come up with a good setting uh, for the scene. I just thought, oh, I'll do it later, and everything that I write will just be relatable to any setting that I put it in. And it wasn't. It doesn't work that way. Well, it, it mostly does. did. It mostly did. So that was okay, but it just needed to be something interesting. And my mood was such that I wanted to put it in a certain kind of place, and I'm like, no, that does not tie in with the rest of the book at all. Don't go there, because otherwise you're going to have to rip the whole thing out and start over. So that's why I just kind of stopped for a day. And then the next day, it's like, okay, I'm going to take the easy way out. Um, I'll pick something that's simple, and we'll go from there. So, you ready to get on with the topic and sharing your struggle? Yes. We've talked before. Steve has asked this question, or somebody's asked this question on the show before. How many point-of-view characters are too many for a book? And I'm just going to say more than one at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing about... And how many point-of-view characters did you have in the first book? And the first of the Jack and Jill books, I think there were five. I was going to say five, yeah. Yeah, I think there were five. And in this one, I think there are four. And the problem with writing multiple point-of-view characters is that you it takes so much more work to develop that character because you've got to crawl into their heads, you've got to, to bring them to life, and you can... you. You can skip a lot of that when you've got a major character who is not point of view because it's all being shown or told through the eyes of a different character. And the the reason that I have gone this direction with so many points of view characters in these books is because of the storytelling style. Now, writing style and storytelling style are two different things. The storytelling style in these books is very... Um, it's very cinematic in the sense that we're only seeing what those characters are seeing, but it's a very, very complicated plot where other characters don't know what those characters know. There's there's a lot going on. And so by flashing through from person to person as the story moves forward, you're able to show a lot of that without having to come up with reasons of how you're not info dumping onto the readers. So it's very sort of a very fast-paced storytelling once it's all compiled, but the process of writing it and getting it that way is incredibly slow and laborious and frustrating. So I have been up against this pretty much for the last several years because I persist in, in <laughs> doing it this way. And um, but more so in this second book right now because it's a more complicated story and I'm having to introduce new characters in a whole a whole new world and and reintegrate characters that first time readers may not be familiar with like if you pick up this second book it's I don't want it to be a case of 
if you haven't read the first book, this will never make sense. It's not a trilogy per se. It is each book is written to be able to stand alone on its own, which is how I wrote the Monroe series. But the character arcs weave through them. And with Monroe, it was a little more simple weaving those character arcs through because there weren't as many point of view characters, there weren't as many continuing characters in each book. So Monroe wove through, Miles Bradford wove through, Logan wove, wove through, and there were a couple characters who'd show up here or there. But it was real simple just saying, and here's their, you know, weaving their backstory in wasn't that big of a deal. In this second book with the Liar series, the backstory is a huge big deal in the same way that it was in the first. It's just different in how it's being integrated. So new readers have to be able to pick this up. It has to be able, new readers can pick it up from the beginning and just go without having read the first book. So because of all of that, I end up with scenes like the one that I thankfully have just finished, where <laughs> Yay. you have these two main characters, each one is their own story. Each one has their own motivations, and each one of them is driving the plot forward. And at this point in the story, it's the first time that they're actually connecting face to face. And if you've read any of my books, you know that many times you as the reader have no earthly clue what's going on. Like you just along for the ride. And by the time you get to the end, it all sort of makes sense. And so we're kind of in that position in this scene. And this is a critical scene where the whole second half of the book essentially turns on this conversation that these two characters are having. Now, when I was plotting out the book and when I see, saw this scene in my head, it was very brief. There wasn't a lot to it. Because it, it, I don't know, it didn't really feel that weighty at the time when I just knew that this is a turning point, it's a plot point where the, the plot turns again. But as I'm actually sitting down and writing this scene, it's not like that because you've got these two major characters, independent, killer, nobody gets the best of them type characters who've come together in an almost funny but also clash of circumstances where they're playing each other and nobody wants to let the other one get the upper hand but they're also kind of friendly with each other too so I hadn't really thought through in advance how that actually happens I just knew that this is the plot this is what has to happen to get the next thing going forward and one of the reasons it took me so long to do this scene is trying to get the dialogue right. There's so much information that needed to be conveyed to the reader, but I don't like doing this, so lay out your plan to me, buddy, type stuff, and then over-explain everything so the reader gets what they need to know, because to me that's just cheating. That's corny, and and I I don't like it when I see somebody else do it, but of course it's much easier to do it that way. And so I'm writing this scene and I just can't freaking make it work. All the time that I'm spending on it is writing and rewriting dialogue because it just doesn't feel right. It feels cheap. It feels corny. It doesn't feel like two serious 
people who could kill each other easily uh, doing a dance of avoidance or trying to fend off a catastrophe. So I just, it was so much wasted time and, and so frustrating as the days tick by and my word count's not growing and the scene is still not finished and I can't move on until I've got this done. And I finally stepped back away from it one day and I was like, why, what is wrong? What, what am I not seeing here? And as often happens, took a long hot shower and you know where you don't have pen and you don't have paper or mic or anything and then the thoughts start coming to you because your brain is finally unspooling and I realized that I was making an amateur mistake something that I've talked about so many times on this show something that I've known for years and that is that character has to drive plot yes the plot is what it is and, and really, it is the plot driving the character, but the illusion as a writer is making it look like the character is driving the plot. And this whole time that I'm writing the dialogue and I'm, I'm trying to force this interaction to make sense, it's plot forcing the characters. And so when I took a step back and I was like, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've got these two guys who are former enemies kind of on a friendly basis now, who, who are these people? What is it they really want? What is What would they actually be saying to each other? Forget what information has to be conveyed to the reader. What would they actually say to each other in these circumstances? You know, like what's really going on inside these characters' heads? And I'm, you know, pulling down, I'm not, I'm not going to say I am Jack, that's, you know, not what it is, but I, I'm putting myself in, you know, I am Jack, what, what would it be? And as soon as I started seeing the scene from within, from inside those characters looking out, it all sort of came together and I was like, okay, okay, that's what I need to do. That's why the dialogue's not making sense. It's, it's too, it, it, all the, you know, too much inner dialogue versus actual spoken dialogue. This dance is a voice. It can all be simplified and, and made straightforward if I just say what the character would actually be saying, say what the character's thinking, and use that as the vehicle to convey what needs to be conveyed to get the plot moving forward. And from that point on, the rest of the chapter, you know, flowed pretty easily, and it was just a matter of tweaking and, and you know, trying to keep the dialogue realistic and, and so forth. So, you know, I just thought about how I've been at this for as many years as I have. I teach people how to do this stuff, and I still don't do it right. <laughs> and so, you know, granted, part of this show is learning from my mistakes. Sometimes it's from the mistakes of others. But I, I wanted to talk about that because if, if I still make this mistake, well, you guys should not feel bad, you know, with your struggles. But also, let's learn from it. What did I do wrong here? Character has to drive plot. Character, always character. Character, character. It doesn't matter if you're writing the most high-octane, plot-driven thriller. Character has to drive plot. And that's what I had forgotten when I was writing that scene. Okay, a few questions. You, When you first said character drives plot, then you backed off at a minute and said, well, we have to have the illusion that the character is, is driving the plot. What, what does that mean? Well, when, when you, when I outline a story, I'm really outlining the plot um, because these are, 
very, very complicated plots. You know, somebody who writes a different sort of book than I do might find it far easier to just, you know, do the pantsing, do it by the seat of their pants and, and organically write the book. And I know there are a lot of writers who, once they know what happens in the story, they lose all interest in writing it. Like their joy in writing is figuring out what happens. But with these very convoluted plots, it's just not possible for me to do that. So when I outline a book, I am outlining plot points. I'm outlining character motivations and how those clash because conflict is also what what makes a story interesting. So if there's no conflict, then there is no story. So I'm looking at plot points that have conflict. I'm looking at characters that have conflict. And I'm basically building out a skeleton of what happens where. But there, there's all this detail missing in that. Like, I'm not actually creating a full sculpture, just the, the underwire that's going to hold it all up. And the actual sculpting of it comes to be when I'm in the actual writing process. So even though I might know a character's motivations, that doesn't mean I know all the dialogue. It doesn't mean I know how they're feeling between the bits of dialogue or any of that. That all comes to life through the writing process. So when I say plot is driving the story, well, we have that framework, right? Mm -hmm. But if, the, if it doesn't appear as if the characters are the ones who are driving that framework, then you're going to have, um, you know, convenient situations. You're going to have roll-eye moments. You're going to have, oh, that that would never happen. That character would never do that. That character would never say that. That that doesn't, why didn't they do this other thing in, instead? All the, the jarring things that make characters feel wooden, it comes about when you're forcing the character to do what the plot requires them to do. So character and plot, they kind of, it's a yin-yang type thing. So the original, the molding of it is definitely going to be plot guiding character. But when you actually layer the layers onto it, it's go it has to appear as if the character is driving that plot. Otherwise, you just get this story that you're like, nah, uh uh, I didn't feel it. I, I wasn't mm -hmm. into that at all. That no. Okay, that answers that question. Uh second question. You mentioned that you felt like what you had written had too much inner dialogue. Did I get that right? That was part of it, yes. Okay. You got that part of it right. Yes. Okay. Um, and, I, I mean, one of the things I really liked about the Jack and Jill book, the last Jack and Jill book, Liar's Paradox, the first, the first Jack and Jill book, Liar's Paradox, was those scenes, well, in particular, I'll, I'll go back to the Jill and Holden scene in the warehouse. And it's just the dialogue. There's a line of dialogue, and then there's all kinds of internal dialogue that, that's going on in between each line of dialogue where it really gives you great insight into the characters. And I felt like that was magical. And so in, in this case, are, are you suggesting that the inner dialogue was unnecessary and was slowing things down? So it's really hard to answer this question without specifics, right? Mm -hmm. And I can't give specifics without spoilers. That's that's the the hard part about this. So the inner dialogue is definitely critical. I mean, we need inner dialogue just as we need movement beats because that all, that's all character. But 
what makes it particularly difficult and situational in these cases is we have opponents who are equally matched. So with Monroe, for example, figuring things out, we could crawl inside her head and watch her piece together a puzzle. And it made perfect sense because she is the one who is reading everybody else and reading the room and figuring out what's going on. There's not somebody doing that against her and figuring her out. Even when she does have an opponent, they're not equally matched to her in a scene-by-scene context. Mm -hmm. With the Jack and Jill stories, Jack is equally matched to Jill. Jill is equally matched to Holden. Holden is equally matched against those other two. And you... They are characters who are constantly withholding information from each other. So in the sense that there is a larger overall plot of the story, the reader never really knows and the other characters never really know what each individual character within that story is doing because they all have their own games that they're playing. So it's like a big story with lots of mini stories going on mentally inside their heads, right? So it's this match of wits in many ways. And so when you have two characters like that come together and both of them know that the other person is withholding information, as the author, you've somehow got to transfer that information from one character to the other to the reader. Like, Jack knows this about Holden because, right? Holden knows this about Jack because. And if it was just Holden only in the scene, figuring it out about somebody else, that would be like writing a Monroe chapter. But because you've got two of them together in the same scene, it's it's this dance of trying to figure out how to convey who knows what to each other and to the reader. And so it's got to be done through, di- the only two ways to do that are through dialogue and inner dialogue. And figuring out that balance, how much of this should be withheld? How much of this should be spoken? By giving away this, is this person showing their hand further down the road? All of these things, it's, it's this tightrope walk of trying to figure out how to convey what, when, and how. And in this particular scene, there was so much that hadn't yet been spoken throughout the story, things that the reader didn't know yet. And that needed to be clarified moving forward so that there wouldn't be questions going, wait, how did he know that? How, how, how did, it, there, it, because these stories move so fast and it had to be done in this scene through dialogue and inner dialogue. So it was me going, wait a minute, I can actually have all of this, how did he figure it out, just be used as spoken dialogue if I do it this way because the characters I'm in the character's head, and I know that that's how he would say it, and that's where he would be coming from. Instead of a, hmm, let's let's play coy here, more of a confrontational, I know you're doing this, and I don't like it type thing. And it solved my issue rather than the bazillion extra words that would be required to explain what the character was thinking in a non-info-dumpy, ridiculous sort of way. All right. Now, for those of us who are listening and will eventually read this, will we recognize it when we see it? Do you think we'll recognize it and go, oh, that was the scene she was talking about? 
maybe i'm i'm like speak trying to be so evasive here. <laughs> <laughs> you I mean, certainly I've are <laughs> i've given a lot of clues so it's possible that um that people will figure it out especially because i've used jack and holden so you know when you see the first scene that jack and holden come together yes you'll 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 notice it i think okay all right well all right that that was fascinating and i i love it when you have these situations that you're struggling with and i love it even more when it's something that you've told us not to do before i don't love it at all (laughs) (laughs) well it makes me feel better about myself for doing the same things over and over and over again or doing them and then going oh my gosh we talked about that like six months ago how could i have done it this way so do we have like are we short on time because i have sort of a small tangent that runs with this that i could talk about too if if we have time, or we can move it to another show. Um, do you want to use it? Can we use it as chit-chat in the next show? Maybe. We'll see. Let's try it. See how it goes. Okay. All right. So that is it. We just hit the 25-minute mark. So let's wrap up for this week. And next week, we will be back with this tangent. And we'll we'll see whether it works <laughs> as chit-chat or not. <laughs> Maybe it'll be this show part two. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. <laughs>